Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. It is freezing outside. In fact, we actually got snow on Monday. Not a lot, but enough to tick me off. It's late May. We recently bought a bunch of snapdragons and lemongrass and all kinds of stuff to play in the yard. And it's frosted the last two, three nights. Awesome. Hopefully it's warm in your neck of the woods. Or at least, going to be warm. But if it's not, you're in luck. Because tonight's show is on fire. I have a huge assortment of different paranormal stories to share with you guys this evening. So without further hesitation, let's launch in to our first call of the evening. And this first call comes with a bit of an apology from me. You see, I've fallen quite behind on keeping up with the incoming calls. As I'm recording this, it is 8.42 in the morning on Thursday and I've already received three calls for the day. So as you can tell, it's getting difficult to keep up with these calls. So with that issue out in the air, I was doing some administrative cleanup the last couple days, and I found a few calls from several months ago, in fact, over a year ago. And I'm quite embarrassed that these calls remain hidden in the back of my emails. So tonight, I'm pulling mostly from those calls, and the first call of the evening is a bit special. So without further hesitation, the following is Mowgli's call from the state of California. Hello, I am Mowgli from Concord, California. I have a story about when I was four years old. I was in my mom's bed. I woke up and I saw these tiny shadow figures and they were walking all over the place and they went into the window. And keep up the good work and see you next episode. Thank you, Mowgli. And I'm sorry that it's taken so long to get your call on the air. You might consider yourself a little bit lucky. Most people have to wait a majority of their life to see some sort of shadow-like entity. But fortunately for you, you got a jump start on things. Keep your eyes open, Mowgli. And let me know if you see anything else. And thank you again for submitting the call. Now staying with the ghostly theme, our next call comes to us from Amanda in the state of Michigan. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I'm calling from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have a story that was relayed to me from a friend This was when we were in our mid-20s, so about 10, 15 years ago. This friend of mine, let me give you a little backstory. She is a full-blown atheist, doesn't believe in the afterlife, doesn't believe any, any of that kind of stuff. She was living with her boyfriend at the time in their house in the downtown area of Grand Rapids, and that house used to be his grandparents. His grandmother had passed away years before, and she always felt some strange presence in the house, even though she was not a believer. One day, she called me in the middle of the night and said, I'm coming over. I'm on my way. She sounded really frantic and absolutely terrified. I didn't understand what was going on. She's like, I can't talk. I'm driving as fast as I can. She showed up to my house and she told me the following story. She was walking down into the basement 
where the laundry facilities were in the house. And she noticed that sometimes the doors would be open and they had kind of like a halfway kitchen down there. It's a Michigan basement. It wasn't finished. It had just concrete everywhere, but there was a tiny little kitchen that looked like it was from the 70s. And there was a sink and, you know, cabinets and everything that were all wide open. And she ended up kind of getting a little freaked out by that, but no big deal. She did her laundry, and she wasn't sure if her husband or her boyfriend had left it open or or whatever. She just wasn't a believer. So when it was time to change out the laundry, she opened up that basement door. The basement was dark, and midway up the wooden stairs that were probably about 15 stairs coming up into the main floor, there was a green, and I wouldn't call it an orb, it was very stretched out. She said it was almost similar to an oval, but a very stretched out oval shape. Green coming up the stairs at her. She said she froze. She wasn't sure what to do. The first thing she did was slam that basement door, grab her keys, come to my house. When she gets there, she crawls into bed with me, absolutely terrified, going, I don't think I can ever go back to that house because my boyfriend's grandmother is down there and she's haunting the place and I couldn't believe what I was hearing from her. She definitely wasn't the type to believe in anything like that. Needless to say, she wouldn't stay there without him there. Um, She never experienced anything when he was there, but when she was alone, she would experience weird noises. And this isn't the only person that it happened to. Years later, they moved out and they rented the house to some friends of theirs and they were experiencing the same thing. So I love the podcast. So I have another personal story of my own I'll be sharing soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Amanda. This call sort of hit a nerve with me, and I'll tell you why. I put myself in the uh, grandson's shoes. If either of my grandmothers decided to come back and haunt me, I feel like I would be elated and not terrified. But that said, if my significant other's grandmother, a person that I'd never met, came back, I don't think I would share that same sentiment. There's something about the fact that you didn't know them when they were living, so you certainly don't know them while they're dead. That just kind of rings true to this story. So it's sort of a spin on the one man's trash is another man's treasure. Or one person's grandma is another person's ghost. Thank you again, Amanda, for taking the time to share that call. Now anyone that's listened to the show for any length of time can tell you that we've had our fair share of doppelganger calls. Typically, these doppelganger calls seem to be fairly cut and dry. But sometimes you get one that's just so weird. The following story comes to us from the state of Colorado and was submitted by Paige. Hi, this is Paige again from Denver, Colorado, and I just have another story as I was having a fun hangout with my friends and I have a really good friend of mine that has this classic story that I've heard dozens of times on multiple occasions and I just love this story so much because it's so creepy. I finally got her permission to tell the story. So she works at a nightclub in Denver, downtown Denver. It's a pretty old building. A lot of those buildings downtown are very old. So they've been around a long, long, long time, probably early 1900s. This club in particular is pretty notorious for having some paranormal activity. A lot of the employees there have stories or they know someone who has a story. They've had encounters themselves. So you hear stories like this all the time from her and all her coworkers. She has multiple stories about this, but one that just always sticks out in my mind because it's so creepy is she was showing up to work one night, probably about eight o'clock or so. This club has multiple stories or levels. So there's probably like four levels. And she works at the very top. So the top being the rooftop, she works all up there all the time. So obviously to get up there, you can either take the elevator, but they're all, they also have flights of stairs. So she's going up the stairs and her coworker, we'll just call him Dave for the sake of privacy, was walking down the stairs right by her. So they were passing each other and she just said, oh, hey, what's up, man? And he said, hi. And then she just kept going. So she then went around the second flight of stairs, just rounded the corner, went up the second flight of stairs. And believe it or not, coming down the stairs was Dave. But this time he had a red hat on. He didn't have one on before. 
that he had one on now. And obviously having a red hat is pretty noticeable. You notice just like that. So she noticed it. And she was so freaked out that she, she just kind of like, she stopped. She was like, wait, what? You know, she, she didn't really know what was going on. She was very confused. But just kind of let it go, if you will. Didn't quite let it go. Kind of did her, worked her shift. But had this pit in her stomach the entire night because she knew what she had just experienced was not normal and she didn't have an explanation for it so she continued to work the club lets out or whatever and they're all closing down and Dave approaches her bar to say hi and just says hey you know how was your night what's going on and she just kind of looked at him and said you know I think I need to tell you what happened to me I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you but it's so upsetting to me that I, I just, I have to tell somebody and I, I need to tell you. So she told him what happened. And she said that without even hesitating or skipping a beat, like he, he didn't even question what she said. He said, so this one time, same situation, I was getting to work. It was about eight o'clock or so. And one of the employee restrooms that's upstairs is just kind of like a one person restroom so you you know have to wait your turn there's no stalls or anything so he went in to go to the bathroom and there was another co-worker friend of his we'll call him jack he was in the bathroom and he said oh sorry man like didn't see you there so he stepped out closed the door he turns around and around the corner is jack this person who he just had seen in the bathroom came around the corner and said hey man what's up like how's it going and he was so freaked out he ran back into the bathroom and there was nobody there so we have no idea what that means or anything like that. All I know is that that is one of a dozen plus stories of this club in particular, but a lot of the clubs on that street or bars, if you will, that are kind of owned by the same company, they all have stories. Everyone that works there has a story. It's so creepy. I don't know what that means, but I just, I had to share it because I just think it's so great so creepy so yeah not sure what that means but i just wanted to tell it love the podcast i'm really enjoying it and have a good day thanks thank you Paige. this one is obviously intriguing because of the double doppelganger situation it almost makes me wonder if there's some sort of affiliation with the land perhaps the building now this may be tinfoil hat territory but is it possible that there's some sort of alternate dimension with a version of ourselves that's just slightly different. Maybe this time I'm wearing a red hat instead of a brown one. And furthermore, in this location in Colorado, the veil is simply thinner. Or perhaps there's a gateway there. I realize this is wild speculation, but when it comes to double doppelgangers, what else do we have? So thank you again, Paige, for taking the time to share that cool story. Well, if you're a fan of UFOs and aliens, this next call is going to be right up your alley. But, before we launch into that, just a little reminder that I will be part of a panel at this year's Alien Con in Los Angeles, California. Now, the event spans from June 21st to June 23rd, but the particular panel that I'm part of, UFOs and Podcasting, begins at 10.20am on Friday in room 406. Now, if you're interested in UFOs, this is certainly something you guys don't want to miss. Check out this lineup. We have David Flora from Blurry Photos Podcast, Brent Hand from Hysteria 51, Ben Bolin from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, Dr. Chris Cogswell from The Mad Scientist Podcast, John Goforth from Hysteria 51, and Ryan Sprague from Somewhere in the Skies. Now, just when you thought that wasn't going to get any better, it does. Because that evening, on June 21st at 7pm, myself, along with all the other podcast hosts mentioned, will be holding a mega meetup at Scum and Villainy Cantina at 6377 Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Now, I imagine this event will go late into the night, so come by, have a beer, and let's talk spooky stuff. Again, that's Scum and Villainy Cantina, Friday, June 21st at 7pm. And the panel is at 10.20 a.m. on June 21st. So, as for that UFO call, the following comes to us from an anonymous source in the state of North Carolina. 
What's up, Derek? Calling from Denver, Colorado right now. I don't want to leave my name, but I just want to tell you your story. I think it's worthy for the show. I enjoy the show. Before I moved to Denver, I lived in Pop Town, North Carolina, small town outside Salem, North Carolina. One night, 2012, had to be like May or April because the Lakers and the Nuggets were playing. My son was just born. I just had a son. And I told my wife I would watch him that night. So I stayed up late, watched the game, put my son to bed, and then I stepped outside to do... I keep forgetting what I was doing. I don't know if I went outside to get something out of the car or something, but just late to get outside. But behind the house was a row of pine trees. On the other side of the pine trees was a cul-de-sac. The cul-de-sac... Usually, you know, you'll see cars come and just turn around in a cul-de-sac. So I went outside, saw some headlights hitting the cul-de-sac. And I'm thinking, oh, it's just a car coming through the cul-de-sac. A few seconds go by, and I'm like, whoa, a car hasn't came through. I saw the headlights hitting the tree. Hasn't been a car come, but I can still see the light. And slowly but surely, here comes an object just above the tree line and it's in the shape of a diamond it's in the shape of a diamond it has two headlights I don't know if anybody's ever seen this that's listening to it but it has two headlights like a vehicle like a car but on each point of the diamond at the bottom was a light but it wasn't very bright the light wasn't very bright at all right over the tree line I could see it real good very 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 quiet very silent if you didn't look up, you wouldn't have saw this thing. Flew over the tree and stood there, mesmerized at this thing, and it went up my driveway. With the driveway was, was lined with trees, so it was kind of blocked. My view was kind of blocked, but I ran up the driveway to kind of see this thing. Flew over my head, flew over the pine trees that, that I thought it was a car that it was coming over. It was this one tree that it flew over till this day. It lights up like fireflies are on it and uh, I live in Colorado now but when I go back and visit my family in North Carolina I make it my mission to go to this location and see if this tree is still lighting up and as of 2018 this tree still lights up and um, you know I asked my wife if she sees it and she's like yeah so I, just to make sure I'm not tripping but I, I don't tell I haven't told many people this story but one of my buddies actually in the same neighborhood saw this same object but you know it's just crazy to me that this tree lights up it's animals that live in this backyard it's, it's like a country area oh where this tree is on on the location it's horses on it and ever since then it seems like you know after that it seems like the horses were attracted to this tree i think it was a ufo because you know it was weird you know and, and, the, and the tree still lights up very quiet very quiet that's my story right there. Out of Pop Town, North Carolina. If anybody's familiar with Pop Town, just go find you a, a spot in the country and look in the sky. I'm telling you, you'll see something. Uh, that's it, man. Thanks for the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, caller. Now, the description of the actual UFO in this call reminds me a bit of the top-secret experimental blimp projects that the United States government supposedly was working on in the 90s and early 2000s. Perhaps our callers simply witnessed a test flight of this vehicle. Now, I'll be honest, I was a bit confused about the trees that seemed to light up on their own. I couldn't tell if the craft somehow left a luminescent substance on the tree that allowed it to glow continuously, or if it was lit from an unseen source. Either way, the details surrounding this encounter are quite interesting. So thank you very much, caller, for taking the time to share. Now, our next call of the evening comes to us from the state of Virginia, and the following was submitted by Mary-Kate. Hey there, my name is Mary-Kate. I'm from Mechanicsville, Virginia. I just started listening to your show, and it's awesome. I'm a huge fan. I'm calling to tell you about my experience with what I believe to be a ghost in my house. To give you a quick history, 
my grandmother died there at home back in, oh golly, 2005, 2006. And my experience happened, I have a few things that have happened, but I'll just give you one or two depending on time. The first thing, it was around 2008. I was playing in my garage all by myself with the door shut. I was playing Guitar Hero and you know, the house was completely empty. Everyone was at one of my brother's soccer games or something like that. I don't remember exactly why no one was home, but I was home by myself and the doors were all shut and it used, it's a garage that we turned into a rec room. So there's no airflow in and out. It's pretty stale. So we usually have the door open, but I had it shut. And while I was playing there, we had a stand, I don't know what they're called, but the lamps that are on their own, like their taller lamps, that was in the corner of the room, and I was just playing by myself, and then all of a sudden, the lamp just slammed down onto the floor and traveled like a foot or two away from where it was initially standing, and so it didn't just gently fall over, or I don't think there was anything that could have caused it, like any kind of mouse or rat or something running past and I didn't have any pets in the house or anything like that at the time so I I don't know what else it could have been so that was one real experience and I ran out of the room and was totally freaked out and called my friend over and just didn't go back into the room until uh, my parents had gotten home so that was one experience then a second experience was um I was upstairs in my parents' bathroom getting ready to go out, and I was fixing my hair, looking in the mirror, and so the door, it has a closet door that opens basically like an L, so you've got two doors that are pretty close together where their hinges are, and if you open both of them, they'll meet each other, but the bathroom door was, the closet door, I mean, was completely shut, and the bathroom door was just cracked open, and I was in there getting ready, and all of a sudden, the lights start flickering that kind of you know whatever the power must be doing something weird and then the bathroom closet door that was shut opens up so I thought nothing of it okay fine you know maybe pressure change in the house something could have occurred there but so that I discounted and I I ignored that until the other door moves so I was like okay that's kind of weird the lights flicker and the door is moving so I shut both of the doors and the closet door again opens. Then I close it back and it opens again. I'm like, okay, maybe something's pushing it. And so I look around to see if there's any towels or something that are there and nothing that I could find. So I shut it again and push my foot against it to make sure it's really shut. And it opens up again in one direction and then it closes itself. So that really freaked me out and that was enough for me with the lights flickering and the doors moving. I ran out of the room and I, you know, yelled out to see if anybody was home and my sister came um, to me and said, you know, what's going on? And I told her that the doors were opening and shutting on their own after the lights had flickered. Um, It's just too much of a coincidence to me. And so I don't know if maybe that uh, was my grandmother trying to communicate or something else. All I know is that it really freaked me out, and so that's my story. Thanks so much. Love the show. Thank you, Mary-Kate. Now, if I didn't know any better, I would say there's a distinct possibility that this entity, spirit, or whatever it is, may be targeting Mary-Kate. Now, she didn't mention any other occurrences in the house that were experienced by anyone other than her. Is that because she hasn't yet mentioned those occurrences? Or is that because those occurrences didn't happen? I suppose we will have to wait for Mary-Kate's next submission to get to the bottom of what may be going on. Thank you again, Mary-Kate, for taking the time to share your tale. Now, I don't consider it a good show unless I've included some sort of alien black cat sighting. So without further ado... The following comes to us from Kyle in the state of Texas. Hey, Derek. Kyle from Texas. I'm calling to talk about a thing that happened to me whenever I was deer hunting probably 10 years ago. I was probably about 15 years old. We were hunting in East Texas close to the Louisiana line. And I was 
sitting in this deer stand, and I had what we call two lanes. I had three lanes, one in front of me, one to the left, and one to the right. And I look down to the left lane, glance to the right, and I see what appeared to be a large black cat. I know everyone loves the black cat stories. I, I know what I saw. It was a big black cat. I saw about half the body and it was going into the woods across the lane. The tail was seemed to be five foot long and it was probably three to four feet tall. That was on my first hunt. Second hunt, there was some, behind me, there was like a marsh type deal, water stand at about six inches deep and I could hear something coming to the water. I knew it sounded like a deer so I was getting ready. Then I heard a lot of splashing I heard the deer like bleat and then a lot of thrashing around in the water. Not sure what happened. I always assume that black cat got a deer behind me. But yeah, I know you like the black cat stories, so there's a little one that I experienced. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, man. See you later. Thank you, Kyle. Now, I certainly don't mean to take from Kyle's experience here, but I would like to at least mention the possibility that perhaps an American alligator took down that deer. Certain parts, especially the eastern and southeastern parts of Texas, certainly have their population of gators. Now that said, there is another culprit that is equally as awesome, but less mysterious than the alien black cats. That is the jaguar. Now recent studies have proven that jaguars are crossing into the United States. A few trail camera pictures have been captured in the state of Arizona, and first-hand accounts have come out of places like Southern California, New Mexico, and Texas. Now for the added bonus to this part of the theory. Unlike mountain lions, jaguars have the ability to be melanistic, or all-black. So perhaps an all-black jaguar made its way into the state of Texas, and just happened to cross in front of Kyle. Then again... There could be something else out there. Now, I realize I have a lot of new listeners to the show, so I thought maybe this would be a pretty good opportunity to quickly rehash the story that not only got me fascinated with the alien black cat phenomenon, but single-handedly launched me into the cryptid world altogether. And I know many of you have heard this story, so I'll be as brief as possible. But when I was 10 years old, me and my brother and a friend of ours were exploring the woods behind my dad's house in southeast Ohio. This was a wide expanse of wooded land with a few pockets of pasture land here and there. I would easily say that the range of land we had to roam was several square miles at the least. So this particular afternoon we were sitting there having lunch on a giant rock when we heard crashing from the hillside adjacent to us and we all looked up just in time to see a massive black cat bolt from one side of the hill to the other. The creature's body was no less than three and a half to four feet long, not including the tail. And at the shoulder probably stood waist high to me at the time and I was around 10 years old. We never did figure out what the creature was, but there are plenty of sightings from that area to support the alien black cat theory. So to this day, I'm still searching for the truth and that search has expanded to things such as ghosts, UFOs, and other cryptids. So on that note, thank you again, Kyle, for taking the time to share that story. I realize it was probably a scary situation, but it would have been awesome if you were able to go to the location and see if you could find any tracks or footprints. Thank you again for sharing the call. And before we launch into our last few calls of the evening, I need to hit up a few of these announcements. This is already episode 14 of 20 in the season. So we're running out of time for these hometown legends. So if you have a story about your hometown or a town that you frequently visit, an urban legend, a terrifying historical event, now's the time to share. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can hit up the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more options. Now be sure to mention very early on in the call or the written submission that the submission is for the Hometown Legends episode. That will help me find it and ensure that it won't be skipped over. 
I recently uploaded a video update to the brick carving shenanigans that I've been doing here in the new studio. So if you're one of the lucky handful that donated money to receive a brick here in a studio, you may want to check out that video. And don't worry, your final videos, pictures, and all that are still coming once I have all of the carvings completely finished. Now recently I've had several people reach out to me about purchasing bricks now. Well, the situation is that I offered it up as an exclusive one-time offer. So I feel it's very unfair to those that participated early on and purchased the bricks during that time period. I also understand that a lot of people have come in to the show later on and perhaps would like a brick. So I'm going to lay this question out to those that donated. Would you mind if I opened it back up for a couple weeks? Or would you prefer that it stays the way it is? There are absolutely no wrong answers and I'll pretty much do exactly as you guys request. So if you'd like to keep it closed, that's something we'll do. And if you'd like to open it back up and maybe improve a few other things here in the studio that definitely need upgrading. So those of you that have purchased bricks, uh, you know, send me a message. Let me know what you think about this situation. I leave it completely up to you guys. And for those that didn't get a chance to purchase a brick and would still like to support the show, there are two excellent ways nigh three excellent ways you can do so first you can make a donation via the website click on the donate tab and literally any amount that you offer up will go a long way to keep the show running for years to come the second option is to buy a t-shirt magnet or perhaps a hat again visit the website and click on the shop tab for all those options and the third is patreon for a four dollar monthly pledge you get access to two additional episodes per month a Paranormal News of the Month episode where I discuss five or six news stories from the previous month that caught my eye and how they pertain to recent sightings and reports. And the second episode is a deep dive episode where I take a past experience that's been shared on the show and actually sit down with the experiencer. So to sign up, visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. And by the way, I'm wide open to other Patreon reward levels. So if anyone out there has any suggestions for different reward levels, please let me know. I'm happy to do whatever it is that makes you guys happy. And on that note, let's get back to the show. Our next submission of the evening seems to describe a haunted toy. The following comes to us from Brandon in the state of Nebraska. Hey Derek, this is Brandon from Nebraska. I called in previously about the apparition of my cat here and just listening to the podcast, almost caught up all the way through. I love it. It's fantastic. You know, it's something that I really enjoy, cryptids, cryptozoology, and wanted to find a podcast and yours are the first one I found and I'm not disappointed, that's for sure. I just want to kind of tell a quick story about when we moved in the house. This was about three years ago, beginning of the summertime moved into this house right now. It's about 110 years old. Um, you know, we haven't really had any uh, spooky stuff happen or, you know, ghostly things go on in the house. You know, we hear things, but we got a bunch of cats. So you never know. It could just be something they did or, or one of them, even when they're all around, could be something that they knocked over and just is now finally making noise, falling over or something like that. You know, we've heard footsteps, blah, 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 you know, the simple stuff like that. But there is one time where my daughter was upstairs in her room playing with her, uh, she had a Cinderella Barbie doll, and she all of a sudden threw the Barbie doll down the stairs, the Cinderella doll, piece by piece, and we heard it coming down the stairs, and me and her mother kind of got up and looked to see what was happening, and we just see her lobbing, you know, leg, and then another leg, and then the arm, and then the arm, and then the body and the head, you know, one after another down the stairs, and we asked her why she did that, and she looked at us and said, it's face changed, I don't want it anymore. And so my wife immediately gathered the pieces and threw them in the outside garbage out of the house, and we asked my daughter to explain kind of what was going on, and she refused to talk about it. She was terrified, um, wanted to sleep with us all night long, but... You know, it wasn't something that ever kind of came back. It's just a story that we had at that time. So who knows if she was just playing. But but she seemed genuinely terrified. 
you know, obviously, well, kids like to sleep with their parents and everything in the bed. But, you know, she was probably about three at the time. Uh, so she could have just been using it as a ploy to get out of sleeping in her own bed for the night. But I, I, I kind of doubt that just because of the way I saw her. She looked absolutely terrified that one of her favorite toys' face changed, that she went to the lengths to rip it limb from limb and throw it down the stairs. So just kind of wanted to share that with you. Some kind of really creepy that happened um, in my family to you. So I appreciate everything you do in the podcast. It's great. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Brandon. Your story reminds me of something embarrassing that happened to me when I was probably eight or nine years old. You see, I had a He-Man backpack, and I loved He-Man at the time. It was a black backpack with a little bit of uh, screen-printed cartoon action on the front pocket, if I remember correctly. And I wore this thing everywhere. Took it to school, took it into the woods. It was my backpack. Well, somehow I got it in my head that the backpack was bad luck. My grandparents suddenly moved to Florida. Uh, I believe uh, one of our pets died suddenly. There were some, a couple other things that happened in close relation to one another. Somehow in my tiny mind, I determined that the backpack was the cause of my troubles. So one evening, I got the bright idea to bury this backpack. To this day, it still sits in the ground somewhere on my dad's property couldn't even tell you exactly where I buried it. But surprisingly enough, the bad luck seemed to have ceased. Now I realize these two stories have little to do with one another outside of the fact that they involve toys, but I couldn't help but look back and laugh. Thank you again, Brandon, for taking the time to share that creepy one. The theme to our next story is brand new to Monsters Among Us, I can't think of a single time we've covered anything even remotely close. So put your boots on for this one. The following comes to us from Donald in the state of South Carolina. Hey, Derek. This is Donald from South Carolina calling. Just wanted to relay a story to you. This happened a long time ago. It was the 70s. I remember uh, we were upstate New York visiting family up that way and my grandfather used to have a bunch of apple farms he had thousands of acres of apple farms we had uh gone out there one time to do some target practice and my uh, dad and some of my other relatives had brought all brought their low caliber uh, rifles to shoot and all the kids were out there target practicing and there was a little river kind of more like a creek you know just to the side of where we were and all of a sudden we kind of look over to the left and we see something that resembled a pterodactyl, but it was probably anywhere from 12 to 14 foot wingspan, no more than 30 foot away, and probably about 10, 12 of us, and everybody saw it and were in disbelief. And it kind of flew by and looked right at us and then swooped down into the little creek area, and uh, which at that point it was out of sight and a couple of people were actually going to shoot at it, but then someone, one of the adults screamed, don't shoot it, don't shoot it, and uh, it was the craziest thing in the world. Later on, when we got back to the house, because all the kids were kind of still freaking out about it, uh, one of the adults was like, oh, no, that was a blue herring. We ended up looking into that, and it was definitely not a blue herring. It uh, did not have any feathers at all. It was really freaky, and it was close enough for us to get a really good look at it. It did have a crest on its head and a long beak, kind of like, a you know, if you look at a pterodactylus and uh, you know, have a little bit more of a, a crest. didn't have a noticeable tail, but you did see the uh, two legs sticking in the back, the hind feet, if you will. Um, anyway, uh, just figured I'd let you know uh, that story, and uh, love the podcast, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, Donald. Now, many of you may be wondering, what did you just listen to? A pterodactyl in the 21st century. Now, we understand that it's pretty far-fetched to believe that a pterodactyl could be living here in the U.S., unidentified, undiscovered, so to speak. But what if I told you that that's not the first and only pterodactyl sighting to be reported in this country? In fact, there have been dozens of reports submitted over the years, in addition to several videos that have actually been posted. I'm going to link to a handful of these in the show notes for tonight's episode, so if you want to check out any of these 
uh, pterodactyl stories, or videos, I can save you some searching. Now, I also should point out that in Papua New Guinea, there's a creature known as the Ropen, which essentially is a pterosaur or pterodactyl-type creature. One of the odd descriptions that the people of Papua New Guinea uh, ascribe to this creature is the fact that it seems to glow in the dark. Certain parts of it appear to be bioluminescent. Even when I read about that as a kid, there was something about the bioluminescent part that just made it real to me. Of all the things, why would they make that part up? Now, if you need additional examples as to why something like this could or possibly may still exist somehow, somewhere, there have been multiple dinosaur sightings in South America. And of course, there's Mokele Mbembe, the creature that stops the flow of rivers deep in the Congo. A creature said to look exactly like a brontosaurus. This huge creature is said to prowl the land and lurk beneath inland waters. Natives call it Michele Mbembe, one that stops the flow of rivers. A heavy armored uh, sides, scales, uh, a fringe of scales down the back. Footprints of the order of three feet in circumference. He always came out of the cave to, 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 to find food. The people call this animal Mokele Mbembe. Eyewitnesses report seeing a creature with a long neck and a snake-like head. They say it has a body as big as an elephant with four legs, claw-like feet, and a long tail. Most of these accounts suggest it is a semi-aquatic animal that spends most of its time in the rivers that run through the jungle. That clip comes courtesy of the series Monster Quest, Season 3, the episode is titled, The Last Dinosaur. And of course, a link to that can be found in tonight's show notes. So whatever it is that Donald saw that day, it certainly has me intrigued. So thank you again, Donald, for taking the time to share that call. And now it is time for the final call of the evening. So without further ado and without further hesitation... The following Bigfoot call comes to us from the state of Vermont and was submitted by John. Hey, Derek. Hey, Addie. Hey, Warren. My name is John, longtime listener. I discovered your podcast about a year ago. Just recently joined the Facebook page, and I believe I'm following you on Instagram as well. I've always kind of been into the paranormal and the cryptozoology, any of that stuff, a lot of mythology and folklore too. I actually live in the Capital District in New York State, uh, down near Albany, but uh, I grew up in the neighboring state of Vermont, more specifically southwestern Vermont, and the story I have for you, I know you're like me, you're kind of a Sasquatch fan. I actually grew up in an area where it was known to have a Bigfoot. I did grow up in the town of Bennington, Vermont. Bennington is known specifically for the Battle of Bennington and the helping to overthrow the British during the Revolutionary War. Uh, there's an area between Route 7 North and Route 9 West. I know it's in different books and whatnot as the Bennington Triangle. There was a number of disappearances there from 1945 to 1951 in the, near the town of Bury, which is a whole separate thing. Uh, but there's also the, a little-known story of the Bennington Monster, which uh, the most well-known story of that is supposedly overturned a stagecoach that was going from the town of Glastonbury to the town of Somerset, which is actually closer to the Route 9 side. Uh, I grew up on a mountain that's called Bald Mountain, but known more better to the locals as East Mountain because of the road that runs through called East Road. I learned of the Bennington Monster, and I always thought it was cool because I, I was always out of the cryptozoology things out there, I've always been fascinated with uh, the Sasquatch or Bigfoot or the big hairy ape guy. Anytime I see a show coming on that is talking about the Grassman or the Jersey Devil or anything like that, I've got to sit down and watch it because I'm just, that's the one thing that I really get excited about. 
anyways, uh, in the town I grew up in, there was the Bennington Triangle. In the middle of the Bennington Triangle, there was the Bennington Monster, which was supposedly a Bigfoot that inhabited a mountain range in Glastonbury Mountain and would float between Glastonbury and Somerset. Like I said, I was married at the time. I was living right on the Bald Mountain, which is in that same mountain range, right between Route 7 and Route 9. And one of my husbandly duties at the time was I would take the trash bins we had, bring them out by the road, and we had a local waste management company pick them up, and then I'd you know, pull them back inside the house. Uh, one night, I was bringing them out, and I remember hearing some of the neighbors around the area say that they used to hear uh, there was a, a coyote pack, or coy dog, as we call them, a coy dog pack that uh, would kind of go crazy at certain times of night. It happened for a while, and then it kind of went away, and then it, it kind of started up again, and it sounded across the road from me was like this, it was an old cow pasture, uh, because I was used to be babysat at my grandparents house and it was a it was kind of a small working family farm and defunct obviously by now but uh i would hear them kind of just go crazy and i kind of asked my neighbors and they weren't really familiar what i was talking about but one just one night i think it might have been october or something i was bringing the trash cans out by the road and and i'd always sort of thought to myself that maybe the bennington monster if it did live it had to I, I lived literally less than 10 minutes from the entrance to the town of Glastonbury. Uh, it was a town back in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Had a hotel, casino, because it was just so far detached from civilization. Eventually people just picked up and went. I always sort of thought the Bennington Monster might travel between there, just because I, I grew up a mile down the road from my grandparents. It was all state forest across the road, and there was wide open logging trails and or hiking trails and logging roads. Just it was easy walking. I my dad tried to get me to hunt as a kid, so I would hunt that mountain, and I just always thought it was pretty good. And this one particular night, and I still can't explain it, and I've never really told anybody the story. But when I brought him out, I heard like the, like a, a knocking sound, like somebody had banged a stick against the tree and I still remember looking into the woods and there was just enough moonlight where I could see like a silhouette uh, down on the other side of the field and and I did have a flashlight with me I had a mag light just it was a road in the middle of nowhere and I was just kind of sketchy about it so I shined the flashlight down there and I swear I saw something move after I what I saw looked like a shadow at the other end of the trees and I shined it, and uh, I swore I saw movement, like a brown blur. The next day, I went down and, and tried to see if I could find some signs or something the next of it, and uh, could see some scrapings, and you, I saw some animal footprints. But I still go out in the woods now, but uh, I've, after my father passed away in 2011, I, I sort of gave up on trying to be the deer hunter, which that's the whole other story. I was never really comfortable with taking an animal's life, but. Uh, it, I still consider myself to be an outdoorsman. You know, I go out in the woods and I, I leave only footprints and more of a hiker at this point. I just always thought it was cool that to grow up in an area with a, a Bigfoot story. I just thought I'd share it with you. Like I said, I've been listening for a long time, working up the courage. Absolutely love what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's awesome, the, the platform that you've given people to, to share their stuff where they're not judged or made to feel like they're crazy. It's really cool. Good job. Give up the good work. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, John. Now, you may remember I discussed some of these disappearances a few episodes back when we discussed another call from the Vermont area. Now, this place, the Bennington Triangle, is infamous, to say the least, for its strange activity, disappearances, and sightings. Now, if that's something you'd like to learn more about, I'm going to suggest a short little documentary for you by a man named Matt Garland. You can actually find a link to this documentary in the show notes for tonight's episode. I highly recommend you sit down and take a look. As for your sighting, John, there have been other sightings of a creature like this in your area. There have been disappearances in your area. And although I've never been there, I've heard and read that the area could support a large bipedal creature like the Bennington Monster. So I suppose anything is possible. 
Now, if the Vermont area, and specifically the Bennington Triangle area, is as active as many claim it to be, perhaps there's someone else out there with a monster sighting from that area. If that's the case, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again, John, for taking the time to share this call. And especially thank you for the kind words. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. Music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. I have some good news, and I have some bad news. The bad news is there is no post-credit story this evening. The good news is there's a bonus episode airing no later than Monday. So keep your eyes open for that one. Thanks for all the support, and have a great night. If you thought you had to travel far to savor the Pad Thai of Bangkok, or to taste the pastries of Paris, take another look. With two times total points at grocery stores, your same kitchen can come with more cuisines. Sapphire Preferred from Chase. Make more of what's yours. Dollar up to $1,000 in purchases per month from November 1st, 2020 to April 30th, 2021. Account subject to credit approval. Cards issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.